All right. Our study uh, in Revelation brings us uh, this morning to chapter 2, verses 8 to 11, if I wrote that one down right. Uh, And that's going to be a letter to the church in Smyrna. Uh, Jerry and Saramatics are missionaries in the Middle East. When they first went to Turkey, they lived in Izmir, um, or at least at some point they did, and that's the area that would be the modern-day area of Smyrna. So uh, we thought it'd be interesting to ask Jerry uh, to speak on this passage, a letter uh, to people there. That, uh, and um, it's also a lot about persecution, and they do know a lot about persecution and things going on in the Middle East. So we did ask Jerry uh, to teach on this today. Obviously, he can't be here live with us right now. He did pre-record. Uh, he was kind enough to do that for us. Uh, so we're going to be watching a message from him. But this is from the Middle East. Uh, the area, an area, they don't live there now, but they still uh, live nearby uh, where this letter would be written to. So we'll be looking forward to that. I'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll watch that. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you again that you are a great, awesome God, that you're good all the time. Thank you that uh, we could be here this morning, Lord, wherever we're at, uh, to help us once again to focus on you. I pray your word would be powerful and effective. May your Holy Spirit uh, just take and teach us and change us this morning, Lord. Uh, help us to really think about our lives and and uh, and all the things that you would have for us this morning. Again, take away distractions, Lord, wherever we're at right now. Help us to focus on you and learn from your word. And I do pray you would have given Jerry the words to say that we need to hear. We pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, friends from Yakima. It's uh, good to be with you today. And uh, even though from a distance, uh, in fact, because of the pandemic, it seems like we're able to connect more than more than normal and uh, it's a joy to be able to join you uh, in worship and and uh, studying God's word on this occasion and uh, we are just uh, enjoying the nice sunny days here in Cyprus right now and thankful for God's grace thankful that we can be together in this season and uh, glad that we can uh, be able to communicate with all of you in this way and uh, we hear that you guys are studying through the book of Revelation and as you know the book of Revelation is very near and dear to my heart and so it's a it's a great joy that we can uh, open up today at the chapter two of the book of revelation in fact opening up to one of the letters to a city where uh, i personally have been and lived in uh, izmir which uh, it was anciently called in greek smyrna uh, so today we're going to open up to revelations uh, chapter uh, two and verse eight uh, so you're familiar, of course, now if you've started into the book of Revelation, if you've been following the messages, that uh, the Revelation is really all about Jesus. Uh, when we think of the Revelation, we often think about uh, all the end-time scenarios. We think about all the, uh, you know, the bowls and the, the, the wrath of God and uh, the coming of Christ and all that's going to come later on in the book. But uh, the, the, the book itself starts as a revelation Uh, of Jesus Christ personally. And so as much as it's revealing things yet future, it's really trying to focus our attention more than anything on the person of Jesus Christ, who he is and where he stands today, uh, vis-a-vis all the different challenges that we might be facing in the world. Uh, So the revelation, I think, is is a fitting conclusion 
and not just to the New Testament, but to the whole of the Bible. In a very beautiful way, it kind of brings together all these strands. It quotes the Old Testament more than any other book in the New Testament. has so many allusions to, to different passages uh, in the Old Testament, uh, different metaphors, different pictures, all that come alive in the book of Revelation. Um, and also the book of Revelation, as you know, we have throughout the New Testament many different letters. And we often fail to recognize that the book of Revelation is actually a letter from Jesus. This is Jesus now writing his church uh, a letter. And that's it's really precious to think about that, that uh, the Lord Jesus takes the time here to pen these letters, uh, one, to reveal to us where he stands today, and two, to give us a, a, a window into the future so that we can face whatever challenges may come our way with great confidence, faith, and hope. Uh, and so, as we get into the book of Revelation, uh, the first few passages, of course, John is penning this uh, as an amanuensis, as a writer for the Lord Jesus, who's revealing himself to him on the island of Patmos. And uh, he, after giving in the first chapter an introduction uh, of himself, a revelation of himself, which quite ironically, John, who knew Jesus very well and had spent you know, uh, years serving him, has spent three of his years at least uh, following him personally. When he sees Jesus in all his glory, uh, he falls down like a dead man. Just, a, just an incredible picture of uh, just how magnificent Jesus is and a good eye-opening experience for him, but for the rest of us to recognize that we have yet so much more to see and experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he opens up the first chapter of the Revelation, he says that he's going to send this specifically to seven churches uh, that are representative, I think, ultimately of, of all the church, of Christ's church down through the ages. But these are specifically unique churches, and why were these selected, you might ask, you know, the, the, the specific churches that uh, at that time would have been in Asia Minor, today in Western Turkey and the Aegean coast. Why were these seven churches selected? Uh, there were you know, myriads of other churches that the Lord Jesus could append these letters to. But it seems to me that he specifically selects these seven churches, uh, seven because it's, uh, it's a picture of the completeness of God's work. But ultimately, these were churches that, uh, with which John himself was familiar. The apostle John, uh, who had walked with Jesus, had later left Judea after persecution and had uh, moved and migrated to uh, the city of Ephesus, which would have been the biggest city in Asia Minor at that time. Today, you can go and visit uh, these, uh, the ruins of the city of of Ephesus. In fact, they're uh, un unquestionably the most spectacular ruins of any Roman city uh, in the land of Turkey today. Uh, it's just fantastic. And very nearby uh, is a city, is, is another small town called Selçuk, uh, right next to what would have been the Temple of Aphrodite, which has uh, since been destroyed. Uh, or oh, the Temple of Artemis, I'm sorry. And uh, you also have there an old basilica that was named after uh, John. John the Apostle, because it's, it was fabled that he moved to Ephesus and served there uh, and was there actually with the mother of Jesus. There's a nearby another place where they believe uh, Mary uh, was living throughout her last days. Uh, in fact, in that basilica named after the Apostle John, they have a, a burial where they actually believe that the Apostle John was buried. And it's uh, maybe 100% difficult to verify, and yet it's very likely that he was uh, buried there because that's where he spent out the last of his days. It was 
in the city and around that region uh, of Ephesus that uh, John spent his time in his ministry. And it's likely that he visited every one of these churches that's listed here. And in fact, if you trace the churches and put them in order, it's like a circuit. Uh, just like an itinerant preacher would have. You would have started in Ephesus, the big city, moved north about 40 uh, miles to the city of Smyrna. From there, farther north to Pergamum, which is a bit of on a hillside, on an acropolis. And then from there, you would move on uh, east and, and start working your way around to the other cities, Sardis and Philadelphia, and end with uh, Laodicea, which is near to this town today of Denizli, is farther inland. And so these would have been, you know, maybe seven churches that John would have regularly visited and, and spoken at. So he was, he was familiar with each one of these churches, with their unique challenges. And uh, so, you know, he had a, a particular relationship. He was invested, if you will, with these letters. And so the Lord Jesus selects these seven churches as a representative sample of all the churches all down through history, uh, churches of which uh, John would be familiar with. And, uh, and he begins to write to each one of them a very unique letter. Now, you've been through the letter to Ephesus, uh, which would have been the main city on the, uh, there in the Aegean uh, uh, coast. Uh, it would have been uh, you know, very, very, very big, of course, with the temple of, of uh, Artemis there attracting so many visitors. Uh, Smyrna, uh, secondly, would have been rivaling or trying to rival Ephesus for the crown of the region, along with Pergamum. Uh, Smyrna, uh, back then, was, was a large city uh, with a port as well. Uh, today, it's called Izmir. It's the third largest city in the country of Turkey. Uh, and it's known for being a very uh, more liberal city as, as opposed to the rest of Turkey. Uh, in fact, about almost 20 years ago, uh, Sarah and I were commended by Titan Bible, uh, were commended by Titan Dry Bible Chapel to go and, and, uh, and serve in Turkey. And we started off our missionary career in the city of Smyrna in Izmir, where we signed up for the university. And uh, that's where, in fact, our first daughter, Ishail, was born. And so we spent uh, 10 months uh, living uh, in Smyrna and, uh, and studying the language. And then we launched ourselves off into the eastern part of the country. But we have fond memories of, of, of uh, Smyrna, or Izmir as we knew it then, a large bustling city. And uh, we uh, also, while I was there, I did get around a little bit and try to find the, the ruins of some of these uh, cities that are listed here, and particularly Ephesus. We went to Ephesus. We went to Pergamum. In fact, the week or two after Ishail was born, in Smyrna itself, uh, there's not much to see because the city is, is just overgrown and whatever ruins were there, uh, there's not much of it left. Uh, historically, the city of Smyrna, uh, there was old Smyrna that was destroyed and it was destroyed on numerous occasions. And then after Alexander the Great, it was rebuilt again. And that would have been probably the, the Smyrna that... Uh, Jesus is referring to here, uh, what was left of it. It was there that, that uh, John would have been ministering. And in fact, uh, later on in the history of the early church, we, we come across the name of Smyrna a couple of times, uh, particularly in relation to a bishop called Polycarp. Uh, Polycarp would have been a, a disciple of uh, John the Apostle. And so he would have a direct apostolic link. And he became uh, the chief leader, elder, or pastor of the church in Smyrna. And of course, many of you are familiar with his story, how after many, many years of service, he was finally arrested and uh, they, they wanted to force him to, uh, to, to offer sacrifices to the emperor. And yet he refused to do so. 
And on account of this, they had him killed. They had him burned alive at the stake. And uh, he gave a testimony, a great and powerful testimony of faith to the very end. Even though he suffered greatly, his courage uh, continues to be an inspiration even to our day. Uh, Polycarp was, was one of those famous martyrs of the, the, the first and second century of the early church. Now, um, when we look at uh, the rest of these, of these letters, uh, we're going to also notice that in the letter of, to, to Smyrna, uh, there's particularly a mention of uh, the Jewish people there and the, the synagogue of Satan. And there's a reason for that. And that's because uh, Smyrna was a, a Jewish colony of sorts. A lot of Jews had settled there. And these were not very uh, kind at all to the early Christians living there. Uh, in fact, when it came time for Polycarp to be burned alive, the Jews, the Jewish population there, went out of their way to go out looking for wood and logs uh, to have uh, Polycarp burned to death. And they did this on the Sabbath. And they were willing to break their own Sabbath rules to ensure that the bishop of the church in Smyrna, Polycarp, was, was burned alive that day. So, going back to these letters that we have in Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3, we find that they all kind of follow a similar pattern. Uh, they all start with some sort of... Uh, uh, statement regarding the person of Christ that is going to echo uh, how he's described in chapter 1. And then we're going to have some words of commendation. Jesus usually tries to find something good to commend about every church. In some cases, he, he has a hard time finding anything good to commend. Uh, and yet, in most cases, he's able to find something worthwhile to say about them. Uh, and then after that, he's going to have his, his words of, uh, you know, of concern. He's going to have some sort of complaint about every one of the churches. Uh, but ironically, when it comes to Smyrna and Philadelphia, he has no particular complaint uh, about them, which is really quite interesting. And then he's going to go on to give words of counsel, uh, encouraging the church to shape up in one way or another and get back on track. And then at the end, he'll end with the words of comfort. Uh, and usually adding in a promise uh, for those that will overcome. So these are the, the kind of the pattern that we see develop in each one of these uh, letters. And these are not particularly normal letters. We know what Paul's letters would have looked like, long and, uh, you know, with an introduction and an ending. These are all kind of short excerpts. Uh, the book as a whole, the revelation is a letter, and it begins with Jesus introducing himself and, and John as well introducing himself, and then with uh, words that, at the conclusion of it. So these, these are kind of letters within a letter, uh, little anecdotes right in the middle embedded in the larger letter of the revelation. So when it comes to the, the revelation, as we have here in, um, in, in Smyrna, the letter to Smyrna, uh, it starts out by saying this. Let's read it together. Verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last, who was dead and who has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say that they are Jews and are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So this is a, the, the, the short letter to Smyrna. In fact, it's shorter than any other of the, of the letters. And in this letter, as, I, as you can see, the Lord Jesus doesn't have any particular complaint about 
the, the believers in the church in Smyrna. Uh, rather, he is trying to comfort them and encourage them uh, in, in the face of some of the tribals and trials they've been through, but also in, in light of uh, future suffering and persecution that's on its way. And so it's really a, a letter of comfort and encouragement, and, and hopefully apropos for our day and age where many of us uh, are, are suffering through difficult things as well. Now, when it comes to the letter, we notice that it starts out with the angel to the church in Smyrna. The word angel elsewhere is translated messenger. Uh, if this is an angelic messenger, we don't know, or if it's someone who's going to be sent there, we, we don't particularly know. But it starts out with Jesus, again, uh, presenting himself and reminding them of some particular uh, characteristics of his person. And this echoes chapter 1, verse 17 and verse 18, where he says, I'm the first and the last, the one who has died and yet has come to life. And so we see echoed in these words, we, we see Jesus' victory, his triumph is, is uh, kind of coming to the fore here. He says, I'm the first and the last. Who was dead? And yet, I'm alive. I've defeated death. I've been through that suffering. I can, he can empathize with us at every level, and yet he is victorious at the end. And, and of course, at a time like uh, our, our time where many are suffering, in particular during the, the time of Christmas, Christmas when we celebrate the incarnation, it's just very apropos to think of Christ as the one who has been there and done that. He came to earth. He was one of us. He completely understands and empathizes with our suffering, our trials and tribulation. And, and the Lord Jesus reminds them of this characteristic of His, that He is the one who's been there and He's done that and He's won the day. Now, this is also particularly interesting in, in light of some of the local uh, traditions and the cults that was famous in Smyrna. This had to do with Sibel. Uh, the, the cult of Sibel in, in eastern, uh, western Turkey, uh, in, in that day in Asia, Asia Minor, uh, had to do with this, uh, the idea of this goddess Sibel that she would come to life again every single spring. And so they would have certain rites and rituals having to do with her. It was a, obviously a very, uh, you know, gross kind of traditions and, and rituals that went along with this. Uh, but the idea that, you know, she had to be resurrected every single spring uh, is, is here kind of in just the position of what we see with Jesus. He, he's the first and the last. You know, he's given his life once and for all. He doesn't have to keep being resurrected. He doesn't die every single year and raise again in the spring. He has done it and has done it once and for all. And there's no need for this to be uh, done over and over again as it was in many of the ancient Roman and Greek uh, traditions and cults. Now he goes on to say, verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty. I know your tribulation and your poverty. And he goes on to say, but you are rich. That's what you look like on the outside, but you're actually wealthy from a spiritual standpoint. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not. They're actually a synagogue of Satan. So three areas in which he uh, commends them, and he, and he says that, I see how you're suffering. I see your tribulation. I see uh, the poverty that you're enduring, economically suffering. Uh, I see the, the slander that's being thrown your way. And, and this is important because on the one hand, you have uh, tribulation, trials that they were facing, which believers all down through history have faced, but also economic trials as well. I mean, in those days, if you didn't fall in line with emperor worship, if you didn't toe the line of the local cults, uh, you would suffer financially. And it's true today in, in much of the world. We find that here in Cyprus, uh, local believers, Cypriots who, uh, you know, have, have 
thrown in their lot with Christ and pledged allegiance to the Lord Jesus, they suffer economically from ostracization, loss of jobs, and loss of opportunities. Uh, it's, it's very difficult for them uh, to remain faithful to the Lord through that kind of economic pressure. But then lastly, you have the blasphemy the blasphemy and the slander. And that's more of a psychological torture, if you will. We have people going around making up stories about you, and, and that's not pleasant at all. You know, we, we've seen uh, persecution uh, up, uh, you know, firsthand uh, here in, in the Middle East as we've lived here now almost 20 years. We've seen local believers suffered, be threatened. We've had people you know, physically try to attack us, but we haven't suffered physically uh, yet. Uh, but this one of, of slander and blasphemy, we, we've seen that over and over again. And it's, and it's very hurtful. It's very painful to have your name thrown around uh, on the local newspapers and people saying all kinds of unfounded, uh, gross uh, things about you, coming up with allegations uh, about you, your character, and your family, your ministry. Uh, those are hurtful and they're painful. Uh, and yet, uh, what's, what, what I find so beautiful about, about this passage is the first words in the verse. He says, I know, I know your tribulation. I know your financial suffering. I know the slander and the blasphemy that you are having to endure. Uh, such a beautiful reminder of, of Christ completely empathizing with us, not just because he knows as God knows everything, but because he was here, because he lived through this. He, he endured that kind of suffering. He endured that kind of slander. He, he went through, uh, even, you know, talk about poverty. He was born and placed in a manger, born to a very uh, young and poor family. He endured all these things, uh, maybe more than most of us. And he can say legitimately, I know. Uh, and what a comfort that is to, to us, whatever our state is today, to be able to pray to a Lord who knows, pray to a Lord who has experienced these uh, and this is true only of Christianity. In no other religion do you have God who has actually come and become one of us. Do you have a God who's actually experienced what we experience, who can really truly empathize with our condition. But in, in, in Christianity, in our faith, because of Jesus Christ and the incarnation and Christmas as we celebrate it in this season, we can look to God and, and know that He knows. Know that He knows. And this has been a comfort, you know, over the years to me. Uh, a song that that particularly like is, is it says he knows he knows every burden every fear he knows everything you've been through he knows and it's so true the lord is near the lord is with us he completely understands and knows what it is you're facing right now uh, what it is you're facing he's he's very much aware he's very much involved he's right there with you walking through whatever those trials are now, the note at the end, again, is interesting about the Jews, where it talks about them being uh, uh, a synagogue of Satan. He's not trying to be uh, derogatory of the Jews. He's just trying to point out that these particular Jews are, are very much serving Satan. They're not serving God and His interests at all. And Jesus said something very similar about the Jews in His day in uh, John chapter 8, where He says, Your father is not Abraham. Your father is, is Satan because you lie just like the father of lies Satan does. And so He's trying to point out that these Jews in particular uh, are very much in league with the devil himself. And, uh, and as I said, we can see this uh, highlighted when, uh, when Polycarp was uh, burned at the stake and it was the Jews who were leading the charge in that case. So the Lord comforts them in verse 9 by saying, I know, I know. 
He goes on though in verse 10. He says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days, but be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So his, his counsel now is don't be afraid. You know, and this is really the story of the whole of the rest of the book of Revelation. It, it charts out the course of human history and, and much of the suffering that's going to take place and much of which we will have to endure as believers. And sometimes as we read these ominous chapters, it's easy to get frightened and go, God, what are we going to do? But over and over we find the Lord saying, don't be afraid. You know, the one who has charted this all out, who's predicted all this and prophesied it and revealed it through his, uh, his apostles to you, he will give you the, the courage at that time to undergo whatever those sufferings and those trials are going to be. And so we find even Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and Luke chapter 21 over and over saying, you know, these things will happen at the end times. Expect this and this and this to happen, but don't be afraid. And you might say, well, how can you not be afraid? Isn't it just human to, 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 to be afraid? It's true to a degree. We, we will naturally have a, a sense of, uh, of apprehension. But to not allow fear to take over is what the Lord is talking about. To not allow uh, fear to govern our, 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 our actions, our thinking, to dominate our, our behavior. That's the point. It's, it's, it's only... Uh, natural to you know get spooked or to be fearful for a moment but if we can again reaffirm our trust in Christ and ultimately in God's purposes don't fear he says don't fear what you're about to suffer we are gonna suffer we are gonna suffer and sadly there's a there's a version of Christianity out there today that if you're a godly Christian if uh, you know you're serving God and paying your tithes and doing everything uh, as best you can doing it right and you know God's gonna bless you and you're not gonna face any kind of financial hardships and you're not gonna face physical uh, diseases you're not going to suffer and that's just not true it goes right against the grain of Scripture and it's ultimately a mockery of the church around the world that largely suffers today and it's a mockery of the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God who suffered greatly ultimately for our sake here he says, you are going to suffer, but don't be afraid. Okay, and then he goes on to say, the devil is going to cast some of you into prison. You will be tested. You will be tested. Now, an interesting thing that he pins this on the devil ultimately. You know, ultimately it was, it was I'm sure, this was, seems to be describing something that actually happened in the city of Smyrna with some local believers that were arrested, were imprisoned. Uh, it says that they were imprisoned for 10 days. We don't know any specifics and we don't have uh, a particular time in, in history that we can pin this to, but it doesn't seem very unusual at all when we look through uh, the first, second century history of the early church. But it says, uh, it's the devil, ultimately, that's going to be behind this. It may be local authorities. It may be a, a tyrant. It might be an unjust judge. It might be, you know, somebody else who's causing us great harm. But he wants us to remember that behind a lot of this is ultimately the accuser of the brethren, uh, the devil, Satan himself, who is availing himself of these opportunities to try to destroy our faith and try to, in one way or another, discredit uh, the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ. And so he says he will... He will put some of you into prison um, for and cause you tribulation for 10 days. Now, some have taken this metaphorically to mean maybe a particular 
period of time. Some have linked it to 10 different Roman emperors. Some of this then seems a little bit arbitrary. If we just take it at face value, it seems to be saying that uh, some of the believers there in Smyrna uh, faced a particular kind of serious trial and tribulation for 10 days. Now, I find this uh, amazing and, and really very, you know, very, very near to, to my heart because just recently, uh, a very dear friend and brother, Andrew Brunson, was released from prison in Smyrna. Uh, some of you know his story. If you don't know his story, be sure to pick up the book, uh, God's Hostage, in which he details this in great, great, uh, you know, detail. Uh, now, Andrew Brunson had been serving in Turkey for, for over 20 years, and we knew him when we were in, in Izmir. We attended his church, and uh, he was also an MK from uh, Mexico. So we had a real connection with him. And then we went off to the southeastern Turkey to Diyarbakir to serve, uh, and then uh, he continued to serve there in the city of Smyrna, where he established a, a local church. And we didn't really see much of each other until uh, he made headlines when he was arrested. Uh, this would have been in the, the fall of 2016. This was on the eve of the coup that shook Turkey, and uh, the government was trying to pin it on the United States, oddly enough. And of course, missionaries have always been suspected as spies, and they, uh, they, they brought uh, Andrew and his wife Noreen uh, and put him in prison. Uh, Noreen was released after a month, I believe, for less than a month, and then uh, Andrew remained in prison for over two years. Uh, and it was, it was horrible, you know, when you read, you know, some of the things that he endured. And it was all based on uh, false accusations having to do with, uh, you know, the, the, the coup and that he was somehow orchestrating this behind the scenes. Uh, but just horrific, the kind of things he had to endure in the city of Smyrna uh, for over two years. It took him about 18 months to finally come up with an indictment, to find something to accuse him. They were really trying to use him as leverage to get the United States to uh, hand over uh, their chief suspect for, uh, these, for the coup, a cleric that's, uh, that's living as, a, as, a, as an asylum seeker in the United States. So Andrew, for 18 months, was just sitting in prison, with, had no idea why he was in prison. And then they you know, cooked up all these allegations, uh, and, and uh, I, in fact, had a chance to read the, the indictment because uh, his wife, Noreen, sent it out to a number of us who speak Turkish well and asking us to help translate it so that we could, it could be passed on to officials, U.S. officials. And so we went through the allegations and the indictment, and it was, it was comical, the kind of blasphemy, the kind of uh, slander that was thrown at this dear brother. And at the end of the day, he went through a series of, of court cases. Uh, in fact, uh, the second time he was uh, being arraigned and he was in, in court, uh, that same day I was reading the news, trying to follow up what was happening, and I came across my own name. Uh, evidently, my name had also been thrown around in the courtroom, and they had tried to pin me uh, somehow to him, obviously because I'd been kicked out of Turkey as well, and they're saying that you know I was helping him to funnel money out of Turkey uh, to Israel and all kinds of other bombastic uh, you know accusations. And in fact, some of these things ended up in the newspaper, and I was uh, you know I had. Uh, people here in the Cyprus calling me and contacting me, you know, what are these allegations and so forth. And thankfully, by the, by the third court uh, case hearing, he was, uh, he was suddenly acquitted. It was all really a political trial and maneuvering. Uh, but he suffered, and he suffered greatly. And many of us didn't realize really what he was going through until much later. It wasn't, you know, until months later, of course, we, we communicated some in between during this time, especially with his wife, and he's now back in the United States. 
Um, but, you know, Andrew uh, was, was forthright in saying, you know, I expected prison to be this glorious, euphoric experience of, uh, ex- of seeing and experiencing God's presence. It seems like that's what we always read in the great novels of people who are in prison. But he said it was the opposite for me. It was, it was horrifying. I felt like God had abandoned me. And no matter how much I tried to really pursue his presence and seek his face, I just felt completely abandoned. And these slanderous accusations and all, they, they just ignited fear inside of me. And, and he's just very brutally honest about these things. And there was, he said there was times when I felt like God made it clear that I was going to be released on, on this particular date. And, and, and sure enough, there was some big, uh, you know, appointment between the presidents and some talk about releasing me. And, and, and I remember, you know, feeling like, okay, it's going to happen. And then suddenly it all falls through. And this happened two or three times. And his face, his faith was shaken to the core. Uh, and it wasn't until later that he realized, you know, I had hoped and believed in those times. And it seemed like the Lord had confirmed those times. But I had also said, and the Lord had almost specifically asked me in that time of trial and tribulation, if it would bring me more glory to keep you in prison, would you be willing to stay? And I had at those times said, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to stay. But I was still hoping to get out. And, and I don't recognize this, I didn't realize this until much later, he said, reading through my journal, realizing that, yeah, there were different occasions where I could have been released. And yet at the end of the day, the Lord allowed me to stay uh, because it, it really raised the level uh, uh, of his case. Ultimately, it was a, it was a terrific testimony to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I know one of the uh, local Turkish pastors from uh, Smyrna who was following his case and coming and going. He was the secretary of the uh, Turkish uh, Association of Churches. And he said, you know, I was talking to some of the lawyers who were following Andrew's case. And he said, they said to me, this guy is so squeaky clean. They can't find anything on him. They can't find a speeding ticket on him. You know, he is so, so clean in everything and all his testimony. It was just a magnificent testimony to, to God's work. And uh, Andrew would often say, I, don't, I think God has the wrong man. But when I saw Andrew, I said, no, Andrew, I think God got just the right man for the job. Uh, may the Lord bless Andrew. And if you haven't read his story, uh, do, do read uh, God's Hostage or get it. It's well worth reading. You won't be able to put it down. Uh, but again, it, it kind of echoes what we see in this passage where it talks about the Lord is going to put some of you into prison. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's perchance that in the very same city in Smyrna, uh, another pastor, uh, Andrew, was, underwent a very similar ordeal. And the Lord's counsel is this, be faithful or prove yourself to be faithful until the end. Until death, if necessary. And we see this in the story of Polycarp, who, who went to death in Smyrna for his faith. And he remained faithful to the very end, even though the emperor and, and others around there said, you know, come on, you're an 86-year-old man. Have, have a care for your soul. Give it up, you know. Just burn incense to the emperor. And he said, listen, Christ has been faithful to me all these 86 years. I'm not going to give up on him now. I'm not going to abandon him now. And, 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 and for this, he was ultimately burned alive. And so he says here, be faithful until death. And I'm sure these words were echoing in the ears and the heart of uh, Polycarp as he was burning at the stake. And the promise is this, I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. And this 
uh, is a, a, an echo of other places in the scriptures. One in particular uh, is James chapter 1, verse 12, where it talks about how blessed is he who endures under persecution. If he, if he endures to the end, he will receive the crown of life. And what is the crown of life? Well, some might think of it as a particular wreath we might get when we get into heaven. Uh, that might be the case, we don't know. But the, the, the word here for crown is, is the crown of a victor, someone who has run the race and finished it well. And, and Paul often refers to the Christian life as a great marathon, a great race in which we, we, we strive to win for Christ's sake. Um, and, and in a way, the Lord Jesus seems to be echoing this. He is the one who has defeated death and has brought uh, immortality and, and eternal life uh, to, to, to all of us. And so, in a way, he's inviting these people, to the, these believers who are going to suffer like he suffered, to be faithful until the end, and, and ultimately will say, if you make it to the end, if you persevere to the end, okay, you will receive that crown of life. You will also be victorious. You will also triumph. You will also be an overcomer, it seems is what he's trying to say. Uh, and so, it's a beautiful... Uh, beautiful reminder again that the games were famous all over the Roman Empire particularly in Smyrna where they had games at this time as well but he's inviting them to persevere to the end he's inviting them to overcome and to become winners right and in doing so they will receive their reward from the Lord Jesus and he ends by saying he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches he overcomes will not be hurt by the second death and here in these phrases, we're reminded that this letter is very much for all the churches. It's not just for one particular church. It's for anyone who has an ear, anyone who's willing to hear, everyone who's, who, is, who is willing to listen to what the Lord Jesus is trying to say. And hopefully that's the case today for all of us. And he says, if you overcome, if you persevere to the end, you will not be hurt by the second death. And well, we understand what the second death is when we come to Revelations chapter 20. The, the implication is that we all will endure the first death unless we are raptured. Uh, the first death is a physical death. Uh, this body must die, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, so that the, incorrupt, the corruptible might be dressed in incorruption. And so at the end of the day, uh, the first death, we will all have to endure it. But the second death is what's important. Because the second death is ultimate and full separation forever from God and His presence. And, and yet if we know Christ, if we trusted Christ, if we're walking with Him, if we uh, have put our complete trust in Him for our salvation, uh, we will not see that second death. We will be spared from that. So a short letter actually, but there's quite a bit in there. And ultimately it's, a, it's an encouragement it's to these believers who have suffered, but also uh, encouragement looking forward. You are going to continue to suffer, but don't let that uh, bring you down. Persecution and, and suffering um, is, is not something to fear. You know, historically we look down through the years of the, of the history of the church and we see that whenever the church has been you know, under, under, the, under the, the gun, whenever the heat's been turned up, the church has thrived. The church has become more vibrant and more committed to the gospel. It's when uh, things have become relaxed, when there's been a sense of comfort that the church has kind of lost its way. And I think that's true for a lot of the church around the world, especially in the Western world today. Today, when we look around, where is the church most vibrant? It's where there's most persecution in places like China and Iran and, and Egypt and, and other places where it's difficult to be a Christian. And it's been our joy to live among 
persecuted believers and to suffer alongside them and to see how this has impacted us and made our faith uh, stronger and made you know, our, our commitment to Christ much more vibrant. If there ever was a shortcut to godliness, it would probably be suffering. There's nothing to like suffering or persecution to, to draw us closer and closer to the Lord. And many of you have experienced that uh, even as I speak. And I can only pray that the Lord will make this time uh, such that it will transform your faith and your love and your commitment to Him in a lasting way, uh, that it will just draw you closer and closer to Him. And that these words of comfort uh, that we see here and echoed throughout the New Testament will, will ring truer and truer for you as you recognize that He knows. He's with you, He's walking with you, and He's drawing you ever closer to Himself. May the Lord bless you, and thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we do thank you uh, for that message. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you um, for your promise that you'll always be with us. Lord, do help us to, to stand up for you, Lord, even amidst persecution and not be afraid or whatever we're going through, especially the weird times we're going through right now, Lord. Help us to stand strong for you, Lord, uh, and uh, to not fear. Thank you for the many people that you have <clears throat> used over the years. Uh, for the stories uh, that uh, Jerry told of different believers uh, being strong for you. Thank you for their testimonies. Uh, help us to be strong and good examples of that as well, Lord. Uh, so help us to be strong even this week, Lord, uh, to share uh, the good news of you with others, Lord, and to not be afraid of that. And uh, maybe even come up with creative ways to share your word, Lord, even though it's hard right now, Lord. Um, so we do pray you would continue to work in this church. Um, help us to, to stand strong like the church in Smyrna too, Lord. And we pray for the persecuted believers around the world, uh, many of them going through hard times. Be with them and do great things, Lord. Uh, and may your kingdom come on this earth. We pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.